You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, good people? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm very excited to share this one with you. This is like four years in the making. We finally made it happen. I'm talking to Matt from Ren and Cuff. If you've been in the pedal game for a while, you have probably seen Ren and Cuff pedals, and you know this guy is a master of the Big Muff circuit. And we dive into that and some of the you know, eccentric things about the Big Muff and why certain ones do certain things and why he has spent so much time on this particular circuit. I think you're really going to enjoy this. This one gets pretty nerdy and we uh, go off into all kinds of different directions. So I'm very excited to share this one with you. But before I do that, I got to let you know about something that is happening right now. From today, September 25th until October 2nd at midnight Pacific time, you are going to have the chance to win one of two Maris LVX pedals. That's right. I'm getting together with Maris. They've been supporting the podcast for a little while now, and they are supplying two LVX pedals. That's right, too. There are going to be two lucky winners of these pedals, and there are two ways that you can enter. If you're not familiar with the LVX, go hit the Google machine and familiarize yourself. That's not what this is about. This is about letting you know how you can win one of two LVX pedals. It's really simple. First of all, you could become a patron of the show. Everyone who is a patron of the show starting right now until October 2nd is automatically entered to win one of the two pedals. So that's all you got to do. Go support at any tier from now until October 2nd. This is over October 2nd at midnight. So if you go over to Patreon, patreon.com slash tone mob, support at any level, and you will not only get extra bonus content, but you will be automatically entered to win one of these two LVX pedals. Now, of course, we wanted to have a no purchase necessary option as well, and you can do that by going to tonemob.com slash LVX and following the instructions there. That's tonemob.com slash LVX, tonemob.com slash LVX. Go over there, follow the instructions that will require you actually listening to a podcast episode. So go over there, tonemob.com slash LVX, and check it out, and you can find out the freeway that you can enter this contest. All right, without further ado, let's get into this episode with my dude Matt from Ren and Cuff. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Wylan. With me today, I have Matt from the mighty Ren and Cuff. What's going on, dude? Not much. Just um, excited that we've been able to finally make this happen. I think we've been talking about it for, what, like four years or something at this point? Yeah, I feel like I saw you right away, uh, or right up, rather, uh, on a motorcycle at NAMM, and uh, we started talking about it then, and um, since then it's just been like, yeah, we'll get to it, we'll do it. And now we're finally locked in and, and doing the thing. Uh, my first exposure to your stuff is kind of a, it's a weird time 
in guitar pedal history. Uh, it was when Pro Guitar Shop still had a brick-and-mortar store, something that I've brought up a lot of times on this podcast, and a lot of people don't even realize was a thing, but they actually had a really nice brick-and-mortar for a very short time here in town. And uh, me and my buddies, you know, this was prime Portlandia time, and so we would saw uh, your pedals, and we just started laughing internally to ourselves. We're like, ah, put a bird on it. Like, <laughs> it's the Portlandia thing. Oh, um, but, but yeah, you, you became, you like, you really carved out a niche within the niche that is effects where you're just the big muff guy. How did this all happen? Like what made you start the company and how did that become the thing that you have explored probably more thoroughly than just about anyone? Yeah. I mean, it was a you know, typical thing, you know, it was kind of by accident. Um, when we started off, I was, in a condo and i had a new baby and i had this little like back because i didn't want the solder fumes with the baby and you know all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so it was on our sure, sure. our outdoor patio and um and i had like a little development deal with this band i was in at the time and the guy that was producing it had all these boutique pedals like he would just buy tons of stuff because it was a tax write-off for him and he this is the first time i'd been exposed to like way huge and um and uh zvex and Mm -hmm. keely and all that kind of stuff and i really dug the pedals i really wanted them but i couldn't afford them at the time it's totally bro sure so i go online and i kind of you know stumbled across the diy community that at the time i was like oh man, this is like, there's so many people on here and so many brands, but little did I know what was coming. You know, like I kind (laughs) of thought, I was like, did I miss this whole first boutique wave, you know, coming And You know, that's nothing compared to what it is now as far as the number of brands. What year was this, roughly? Um, I say 2008, but it's more like 2006. 2008, we kind of like officially did all the stuff, but that was the end end of, I think there's a handful of, the early Ren and Cuff pedals that are dated at the end of 2006 that pop up sometimes, like these little like hand done things, but it wasn't, I was still like waiting tables and, you know, struggling musicians and stuff like that. So right. I could hardly call it a company. But um, <laughs> <clears throat> what kind of did the big enough thing was I wanted to, Way Huge was totally defunct at that point. It wasn't, it was just gone. Right. And um, so I wanted to make a pedal. And honestly, I was like, I wasn't even that into the swollen pickle. It wasn't like, oh, it's great. I was just kind of like poking around. And um, I was like, I don't see anybody doing way huge. Like, you know, I always hate to say clones, but, you know, clones and stuff like that. And I knew it. Mm -hmm. I knew his Red Llama had, I don't know if you know who Craig Anderton is, but he's like Mm -hmm. old school. Yeah, one of the, he had this book of all these pedals or effect circuits and all that. And they were all really like dated, but um, I knew the way huge red llama was pulled out of one of those books like george doesn't you know he'll even tell you yeah it came from uh, from that book and i was like hmm somebody gave me that book and i started piecing all in. i was like oh, i'm gonna do these i even sent him an email back in the day mm-hmm. and i was like hey is this cool if i do this you know i know you're not really around anymore so I assumed it wouldn't matter and um he got back to me like i don't know like weeks later and was just like yep um just don't uh, mess with the copyrights or anything you know the name right. part of it and all that yep branding and, and all that yeah now i'm now i've become 
buddies with him. So that's pretty neat. But, you know, at the time it was uh, just, I don't know. I just feel people don't really do that much anymore, but, you know, but I was like, yeah, I don't, <laughs> you know, and so I just kind of dug really into the swollen pickle because it uses this, it looks like an IC chip. I don't know. I don't want to get too technical for this, but it's kind of a fake IC. Get as technical as you want. It's fine. <laughs> but, you know, inside people always think, oh, he's got this IC in there. I've had this IC in there. And basically the IC is just four transistors on mm-hmm. the IC. But the thing about them is they're matched kind of perfectly. Got it. Within the IC. But um, George always did the thing where he'd sand off the IDs mm-hmm. on the uh, chip so i had to kind of fish around and um i came up with one i don't know if it was the same exact one but it sounded like you know auditioned a bunch of them and it sounded right to me and so i did the same thing sanded it off i'm like i don't know it's gonna know which one i use <laughs> and um i started selling those and like, i think i sold the first one for like like 95 dollars or something like that and i was like telling everybody i knew i sold one i sold one it was on ebay and it like you know it just had these like hand drawn things on it and um it kind of got went from there um and that sort of became you know the thing i was into and a lot of it honestly um as those started selling i did some red llamas you know and i still was barely a company and I got in touch with Scott from Weezer. Somebody referred him to me. Or you know what? It was actually Juan from Mars Volta. Oh, uh, yeah. Juan Alderetti. And um, mm-hmm. I had somehow, I don't remember if he emailed me or somebody put me in touch with him. And then he was like, you know, hey, you should talk to my friend Scott. Talk to him. And, and then both those guys, I just sent some pedals to. And I sent Scott a pedal. And he kind of became a friend. And... You know, that wasn't all of it, but that definitely having him use it and kind of refer me to other people, it lent some legitimacy to what I did. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as soon as you have, you know, well-known artists that trust you and trust recommending your stuff, um, even that little bit is just like, you know, especially when you're in this world of making effects and it's like you, you don't really know, it's like, is this guy just kind of, doing you know just like sort of hobbyist pulled some schematics or is this guy like you know really trying to make it a company really trying to do it? and that kind of can kick you up that notch um, sure where you know you, you start you know people and also you know it helps that i'm weezer fan well mars yeah. Volta fan so it wasn't just like somebody random i was like whoa you know of course i was like flattered and all that kind of stuff like what happens with that so mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of helped springboard everything and then, um, you know, from there, uh, I sent Scott, I think, I think he sent Scott one of the very first Tri-Pi 70s I made. And that was like the first time I really tried to do a um, triangle muff and somebody I knew had one. And so I like pulled it apart as much as I could without, without messing it up. And um, um, I sent that one to him and I think he still has it on his board. It's like, it's like a prototype that I did and it had some other artwork on it and it was like a whole thing. And, um, but I think he still has, it. I'm sure it's a little bit sentimental for him too. And, um, then I started making that pedal and then I got, um, I was on eBay one time and I was looking at these delay pedals and, uh, there was like this weird funky analog delay and it was in Japan. And so I just messaged the guy on there. I was like, 
hey, how does this pedal sound? Do you like it? And I got this short message back. It just said, not my favorite. And, so, and I was like, I, I was like, oh, this guy's, this guy's cool. He's just like honest with me and like straightforward. It wasn't like, oh yeah, it sounds great, man. You know, he's mm-hmm. like, not my favorite. Yeah. And then he looked, I guess, just during the question, he just like looked on my eBay ID and saw I had a few pedals for sale that I was just kind of throwing up on eBay. I don't even think I sold them through. Our, I didn't even have a website yet. And, um, he was like, Hey, I think I can distribute those pedals. It's a, it's a distributor called nine volt. Yeah. And, um, I was literally his very first company when, Whoa, and he really? has so many now, but yeah. And I developed a relationship with him that, um, he was like, I think I can sell these and then started picking up other ones and they sold well in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he asked me, if I could make a uh, Sovtech style, like one of the old Russian ones. And I had, um, I had this weird pedal. It's a, it's a, it's the tall font, but I think it's like transitional because it has some of the values of the, uh, bubble font mm-hmm. in it. So it's got really like a lot of the, I always kind of hate when people, if they, I don't hate it when people do that. I understand why they do this, but um, if you A, B, like some of the original uh, tall fonts, you know, versus like that one, well, the whole thing about mine was that the one that I had, it was super low gain. Um, it was like the volume just to get line level volume. You had to pretty much dime it. If you've ever played oh, wow. the, the bubble fonts, a lot of them are like that. And you crank the gain and compared to most other big muffs, it doesn't have much. And all that stuff is like super easy to tweak, but this pedal, I loved it because it worked really well on bass, you know, and it had less of a, less of a mid scoop. And, um, he asked me if I could do one of those and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, it's really easy to goose this up and, you know, make more gain, make more output and do all that. But I'm going to do it like exactly like this one, warts and all. And, um, maybe no one will buy it. Maybe no one will get it. You know, but I'm just, I'm going to like do that to the T and, you know, I even like desoldered all the parts on mine and did all that and, um, kind of. So you really dissected it like down to the, yeah, as yeah. far as you possibly could kind of, level. Yeah. It was kind of painful doing it cause I hated to like pull the pedal apart that much, like taking all the parts out and everything, but, and it became really fun. It was like, you know, kind of a next level from just like copying a schematic and sort of piecing it together, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, and I had done that somewhat with the tripod too, but I was borrowing it, I believe. And it's a long time ago, but, um, I, I wouldn't do that to someone else's pedal. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you, know, and, you know, I've gotten, well, now, it's, probably, it's probably worth mentioning. I think most of the listeners of this podcast probably know this, but diving into the, all the different big muff, variants and everything one thing to keep in mind and you can you can speak to this better than i can but we kind of romanticize some of these these things right we're like oh it's got the vintage correct blah 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 but the thing is is over at ehx they were just kind of using whatever was gonna work whatever was and just throwing it together and getting it out the door that's just what it was that's why there's so much variation even in when we refer to like a bubble font or a tall font or a triangle or whatever even amongst those variants, there's massive differences between them. Oh, yeah. and, and so that's why when people get so excited when they get a good one, 
And I've got one I want to talk to you about uh, here a little bit later before, after we get through your story. But it's when we're talking about why he, why he, Matt, had to disassemble this pedal to get it just right. It's because what might be on the schematic might not be what's actually in the pedal. So he or really, even if it is, those, especially over time, those values drift on you. Or there was, I kind of have a feeling maybe he would get some resistors in bulk and maybe the reason that he got them was because they were made and they stayed a certain value but maybe it was off enough where they had to, like another company had to reject them you know maybe mm-hmm. it was a 470k and it actually read like you know 440k or something like that even though the stripes on there and everything indicated the 470k value so i have a feeling right i don't know this i've never talked to mike uh personally but i have a feeling maybe he was like oh i'll take them you know, right. somebody just wanted to get rid of them because there's so many that I found where you're like, wow, this is like not even close, you know. So it's like mm-hmm. pretty much pretty much all of our pedals, you're not going to find a schematic of it out there, you know, that matches it. And a lot of times I see people say things that aren't you know, necessarily true about it. They're like, oh, I just did this schematic. Not on the internet. And yeah. And, I'm, you know, and I'm like, man, it's, it's hard to convey how much time I've spent on this, you know, on this stuff. And I don't want to, I never want, I never want to come across, especially online. Like I don't, I never comment this or anything. I'm going to come across like the guy trying to justify what he does, you know, but I do always, you know, emphasize that, you know, like a pedal or don't like a pedal or whatever. There's been hours and hours and hours and hours have gone into it. Probably uh, a lot of the times to my detriment where, mm-hmm there's small little things that I honestly could have just left alone. Like uh, as like a microcosm less mid range. And it's not just a matter of tweaking the tone section. There's something there it's missing. And I just like get obsessed on it, come back to it, get obsessed on it, come back to it. And I, I will eventually get it right. But you know, a lot of times it's one of those things like does, you know, did it really matter? I could have just fudged it and just been, but like, you know, to <laughs> me, it's like, if I stick to that sort of code within myself, you know, then I feel good mm-hmm. selling these to people and saying, you know, this is, there's a reason I put all this time into this. There's a reason I'm not just cranking these out like, Oh, this is this version. This is this version. This is this version. You know, I, I, you know, I figure if I know internally that I, that I went through all that effort, it helps to, you know, justify the price of, you know, a pedal because it's, you know, I'm, I'm asking people to pay more than twice as much as you can get a big muff for from electro harmonics right now, you know, the smaller mm-hmm. ones like, and it's a different market. And, you know, I, I want people to know that, you know, to know that, Hey, it's not, and we're a smaller company can't buy everything in bulk. I got employees to support, you know, all that stuff. But yeah, you know, the main thing is, is like, Hey, you're, that's a lot of what you're paying for. You know, it's like when, mm-hmm. when you pay a you know, a producer or a mastering engineer or something like that, you're not just paying them for like what they literally do. It's like, you're paying them for all the <laughs> stuff they did before to prove themselves, you know? So that's a remember. really good comparison because if you, you know, pe- people do want to try to make comparisons like, well, why would I spend all the money on that pedal? All it is is X, Y, Z, you know, and they just add up the sum of the parts. That's like saying, why would I pay this mastering engineer? All he does is sit in front of speakers and turn knobs. Like, you know, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, I just it's the a, same thing. 
I just did a post about that the other day, sort of sticking up for mastering engineers. And I think not a post, I'm sorry. I, I just responded to one and I got a comment back. Like, sounds like what a mastering engineer would say. I'm like, I have never, I can't master anything worth it, but you know, <laughs> but I, I was just kind of like, look in defense of mastering engineers, you're maybe the mastering engineer did just look maybe because if the, the recording was done really well, Mm -hmm. The mastering engineer doesn't have to do a whole lot. And maybe he pulled it in and didn't have to do a ton to it. He just made it more cohesive. But, you know, you're not you're not just paying for him to turn knobs and spend more time. You know, you're paying for somebody if you're paying a lot of money, you're paying for somebody who's done, you know, hundreds of records and knows right away it's good. This is going to sound like crap when you listen to it on headphones. This is going to sound great on headphones and on the stereo and on this, mm -hmm. you know, and you're paying for all that experience in the past. It's not, you're not you know, paying. And there he's done records where he had to spend hours tweaking and, you know, sort of, you know, trying to make, make a something out of trying to make something sound pro that did not sound pro when it was delivered. Polish so, a turd, as people say yeah, sometimes. Exactly. <laughs> so even though your record, you know, if you do, if you and your engineer and whoever else did the job, you know, really well, then he doesn't have to do much. But that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve to get paid for it. You know, I've had I've had records I've done before, and actually when I was working with that producer, it's the first time like I, he had somebody that really knew what they were doing, master it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a ton of difference, but it was. All of a sudden, all this, these songs that sounded kind of disjointed and you know everything, all just kind of glued them all together, and then it sounded. I was like, "Oh, it sounds like a record. It has that. Mm -hmm. It has that thing that like every recording I ever did, where I was like, this sounds amazing. This sounds amazing.' And then you put it, you know, in your car, and it's just got that different thing from the other records that you listen to, and you're like, "What is that? Why does it not right? sound like a record record?" <laughs> <laughs> so. I mean, yeah, and on the other side, you know, like that's why you pay somebody good because I've worked with mastering engineers specifically that we got the stuff back and was like, this sounds way worse than what we sent you, you know? And mm -hmm. uh, that's, uh, it's like, what did you, what did you do? All the details gone. All It's like they just put it in a compressor and went, went all right, I'm done. You know, it was just like, yeah. It sounded bad, so we worked with somebody else and got it to sound the way it should sound. But yeah, it's also, a, I just think I'm that's a good knocking, example. You know, I'm not knocking. Um, if you know, when I was broke, early twenties, and you know all that, I would have just if all this stuff existed. Like I was kind of right when Pro Tools and Mboxes were coming out. Like, or when I was in my early twenties, that stuff didn't really exist. But um, you mm. know, I I would totally just do it myself. You know, of course, I didn't have any money to pay, and so I'm not knocking somebody that just does it themselves. You know, I didn't have money to pay a mastering engineer and all that. You know, I would have just been like, "Well, I'll just use this plugin," and it's, and it's great. Of course, we amazing. all we all would. There. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. if it, like people that like go out of their way to be like mastering engineers a waste of time, blah, 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 blah. it's like, oh well, there's a reason that they exist. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's that old story of. Uh, I, I used to hear it in like in more in like entrepreneur type circles where, you know, the, the the company flies this expert out and he, you know, they're trying to debate on where, you know, they need to put these components or whatever. He flies out, they pay him lots of money, he walks into the boardroom, he looks at the the design they have, and he puts an X on the board. And he's like, All right, thanks guys. 
I'll send you the bill. And they're like, well, we paid you $10,000. All you did is come out and, you know, draw one X on the board. And he's like, yes, but how many years did it take me to learn where to put the X? You know, it's, it's a, it's, you, you know, people who put in a lot of time into any discipline, if it's a, if it's something that they're doing for a career, I think, you know, they make it look easy. They're like, oh, it's easy because look how easy it was for this guy or this girl. And it's like, well, that's because they're really good. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, and, you know, that goes for something like you're saying, you know, it could be any sort of thing. But I mean, that goes for somebody that, you know, landscapes or somebody that like mows lawns or, you know, they, you see them and they just don't even think about it. And they do it. And you see this, this like professional result that they have. And we kind mm-hmm. of, you know, in society, we, we tend to not put a lot of emphasis on, those more simple jobs. But like when you see someone versus a new person that does that, you, know, right. you just get that, <laughs> you get that skill over time that just comes with, you know, there's nothing, um, there's nothing magical about what I do. I don't think I'm like amazingly talented or whatever. It's just that I've spent so much time doing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I had spent this much time, you know, cooking, I'd like to think I'm would be a really great cook now. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? And so, you know, that's yeah. even like, you know, I, I always compare that to musicians too. Like, you know, I'm a big Roy Buchanan guy. Like that style of music I don't listen to, but I love Roy Buchanan, you know. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and people are always like, you know, he's so talented. He's such a talented guy. And I read a book about him and I'm like, yeah, he's got, to, he's got some talent. But the dude from the time he was in like elementary school, he would come home. As soon as he was done with his homework and that, he would play his guitar until he fell asleep with it in his hands at like 12 at night. Wake up, repeat, Mm -hmm. wake up, repeat, wake up, repeat. And then the second he could get out of school, he was touring full time. And it's like, yeah, that, you know, you had some talent there, but it's all those hours. That's what Mm -hmm. made him what he is. You know, I I always feel like, you know, um, a lot of times, time spent and repetition experience that'll outdo talent, you know, cause you can be sometimes. Ta- yeah. Yeah. You can be talented and then just not cultivate it. And, you know, I don't know, I could be the best, you know, painter in the world for all I know, but I never really tried it. So, right. You know, <laughs> so, you know and I didn't care to, but you know, it, it, if some people do have that thing, you know, we have those musicians in history that are just like kind of ungodly good where they have a huge amount of talent and they find that thing, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, those are the ones where you're like, you know, you know, and that's, uh, mm-hmm. they definitely take it to the next level. But then you have those guys that, Hey, maybe they weren't that great to begin with, but they just refused to quit. Yeah. And they just kept going. They just kept going. And, you know, that's, um, it's always a neat thing. So I don't know, you know, I consider myself more along those lines of, uh, you know, as opposed to like, uh, some of the dudes at Strymon or some of those guys are just like, they just go and do the math mm-hmm. and everything in their heads and all that. And like, they make amazing stuff, you know? And, yeah. The Maris people, like, I'm just like, how yeah. did you even think to even like have the idea that you wanted to do that, let alone know how to do it. <laughs> like, yeah. And then know they like put it together and know how to, you know, I mean, I'm sure same thing they weren't they weren't just like oh easy do this yeah <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> tons, and tons, of, tons and tons of time on it and everything you know and it's like there's 
same with music, you know, there's mm-hmm. the Berkeley graduates and then there's Keith Richards, you know, and everything in between, you know. Um, so. Absolutely. Hi, I'm Vincent and I'm here to talk about the Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate and 99 preset locations in 33 banks and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my pocky? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than 2 bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. Well, yeah, that was a tangent, but we were talking about you dissecting the pedal. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so once you just started, yeah. I, <laughs> usually I, some I of my favorite things on podcasts when they get totally I, lost on something some, else, and you're like, wow. Sometimes this whole podcast is a tangent. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's all fine. I like it. Yeah. That was great. But you were so you were the, dissecting this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Russian one, and um, mm-hmm. I did. I didn't tell his name is Kaz. I didn't tell him either. Um, Cause it's, you know, there's a language barrier, so it's hard to go into a ton of detail. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we always keep things pretty, pretty, uh, meat and potatoes with the conversation, but I was like, I'm going to do this. And I kind of just like briefly explained it. And I was, it was kind of a tough decision to make. It really was because, you know, the one that I happened to do that on the, the main one, you know, that was my first like true, true dissection. I was like, I really thought it wasn't going to sell well i just thought people aren't going to get this but i did to help with that i did a lengthy explanation on our website because i saw so many that's also one thing that you know i feel really if if anyone's like starting off and trying to do pedals or whatever is you know in my in our descriptions online and everything i really break down what the process was going into it you know, I tried to, and especially mm-hmm. back then, I think they were even longer. I really did an explanation. This is why you're going to, this pedal is not going to have a ton of gain. This is why it's not going to have a ton of outfit, but this is the benefit of it. You know, right. the benefit in that sense was in the, what the tall font is you get a lot of presence. You get this sort of overdrive. It, it's, um, 
easier if you're the kind of person that doesn't just want pure saturation. You want, you know, it's kind of a, maybe you've tried most and didn't like it. It's done, you know, and I give a real breakdown of it mm-hmm. because you know it's all it's kind of disappointing too. Sometimes when you go to buy something and it's like two sentences and you're like, cool, but you know, I like being. I, I like, you know, being um, informed as to why something's special, you know. At the end of the day, you could say, well, it's just all that matters is the sound, but still, anything I buy, I want to know the person, you know, cared enough to explain to me why. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, especially enough. when it's things we care about or are using to create things we care about. I mean, that's why this podcast exists. This is why the whole boutique pedal industry exists is because there's pe- enough people that care on another level versus ah, just give me the thing, you know, Yeah, at least in my view of it. Yeah. And I mean, you got it. I mean, nowadays it's just a different, it's a different world and you have to, you know, when there's things are so in the pedal industry, but in so many industries now, it's just so much competition mm-hmm. and, you know, people want to know why, you know, they want to know why, I want, why am I buying this? Why? I mean, there's people also that, you know, maybe have a little more money and they'll just be like, oh, I heard this is good and they'll buy it. And they like having a ton of pedals and, you know, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, me, especially when I like started where I like just had enough money to buy like nicer stuff and everything like that. Like I needed something to push me over that line to yeah. <laughs> take a chance on a pedal, you know what I mean? Like I remember um, one of my first, because I, um, you know, despite making the way huge pedal and all that, I couldn't afford one because they were just even back then. Since he wasn't around anymore, they were just obscenely expensive. At least it seemed like that to me at the time. But I came across Keeley's site and um, his compressor, and I just like you know, read the descriptions like over and over again. And I found on forums him talking about it and listened to all the samples. And I think, I think it was a couple hundred bucks at the time, but that was, you know, a good chunk of money for me to spend on a pedal because I only had like three pedals that I really loved and used. So it was like, you know, and, and I overthink anyway. So I was like, I really want this because I've never bought a pedal um, just online before really. Like I'm right. seeing, you know, I was, I was used to, I'm older. So I was used to, you go into the guitar store, you mess around and find something and, you know, um, and just buying it online. And I got it and I was like, Oh, this thing's the best. I just, you know, I get it. I get it. And then, and then I kind of felt proud of myself for getting it because a compressor too, it's a thing a lot of people don't get, you know, and a lot of people don't mm-hmm. like, and you know, it can be one of those things you turn it on and you're like, okay, it's, you know, it's working. like, what's the point right you know it's not it doesn't make a big <laughs> echo or it doesn't you know it doesn't um distort make your amp you know. explode yeah and it's like you know but it, it also taught me that thing of like there's a difference between the bedroom and the rehearsal room mm-hmm. where like things like a compressor i think you know unless you're doing like straight up like chicken picking and stuff or you're just like you know you can hear right away that snappiness and poppiness but for you know a rock musician i feel like anyone that's using a compressor in that setting is like you're using it more subtle and more sort of uh to enhance your sound as opposed to just squash it yeah you know? and mm-hmm. um i remember using it at rehearsal and i was like oh i get it i get it my solo is like i take a solo and then it has like this bite to it for one thing you know depending on how the attack was sent and everything so that also not getting off on a tangent that also fed into what i do 
because I was like, oh, those little things, people that, um, you know, really appreciate that and do a lot of live playing. Like I, I hope they would buy stuff from me and be like, oh, I get it. I get, you know, I never liked big muffs, but I get this, you know, I get this, mm-hmm. this, um, tone, you know, and especially when, you know, you can't, it's not like I'm just like, you know, ripping off, um, electro harmonics. I'm making stuff that you can't buy. Right. So, you know what I mean? So I'm like, I hope you get this, you know, and it also taught me, you know, a lot about what you said, like there's, you know, there's so many different circuits within the same enclosures with those pedals. Like I have a, I have a, a Rams head. It sounds terrible. An original Rams head, <laughs> terrible pedal. And, you know, and then it works fine. It works great. But the particular schematic is just an awful one. And just a mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I remember like getting the first, I have a couple now, but I remember getting that first one and I was all excited and I plugged it in and I was like, Oh, <laughs> what is all the hype about? You know what I mean? And then I got another one and I was like, Oh, okay. I get it. I get what all the hype's about, but you know, and you really said, I think at, you know, at the time I thought, Oh, there must be a couple of these circuits, but it, um, I think like Kit Ray online, I think he, you know, he has some ungodly amount of big mass. I think he came up with, I think it's like 17 or 18 different circuits within this Ram's head enclosure that look exactly the same. That's crazy. Yeah. Don't quote me on that number, but it's something crazy like that where it's like, man, you know, and I'm sure at the time they just didn't think there's going to be, you know, nerds like us that are going to be pulling these pedals apart in 40 <laughs> years and like analyzing them and posting pictures up online and writing out, you know, they were just like, oh, the guitarist is going to plug it in. There'll be a bunch of distortion. And he'll be like, cool. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what they thought. Dude. Like, does it distort? All right, cool. We're, we, our job is done here. That, you know, I've got one here that I is like near and dear to my heart. I've played a lot of big muffs. I have a lot of different ones, and um, but th- this one I, I I had such a moment with because I I saw it sitting at the store. This is like two thousand, I don't know, fourteen maybe some somewhere in that ballpark, two thousand thirteen. And I it was it's one it's a weird one. It's one of those. There's all these transition eras, right? So this is in between the uh the it's the big box black one with the small text so they hadn't quite mm-hmm. went to the smaller black box yet mm-hmm. they were still in the same green box size but it was still painted black with the yeah. more updated text that we're used to seeing um and i was like huh ah that one looks pretty cool it's beat up in all the right ways i was like but i don't really need another big muff like what i'm not going to buy this thing Ah, let's go plug it in and try it. And I plugged it in and immediately was like, well, I know, I know this is coming home. This thing sounds insane. And I'm not obviously the first person to think that. However, ended up in that store, somebody carved on the bottom of it, don't touch Mr. Frost's muff. So Mr. Frost, apparently, whoever I, that is, is like loves this, seen, loves this pedal. Maybe it's from you posting it. I've seen that before. I've posted it. I've posted yeah. it a couple times. Yeah, I've had be, no yeah. answers as to who Mr. Frost could be. Um, I I kind of wish that I had more information on it, but it is an insane sounding Russian muff. It it's 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 like the it's not as gainy, but it has more gain than you'd think out of a Russian. Um, 
it's a special one. You got, if you ever come by, you have to play this one because it's a. I'd love to hear what you think about it because it's. I I was fully convinced I was going to try it, put it back on the shelf and walk out. I plugged it in one chord. Was like, no, I'm buying this pedal. This is coming home today. Well, part <laughs> so. of that honestly is, <clears throat> I mean, this will be giving away a little secret. So if you're, you know, someone's out there and wanting to, you know, make big muffs and do all that, you know, this is a good tip. But part of that is. Um, they these really crappy ceramic uh, caps that they used in those, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the sort of you know world of boutique pedals, everybody got really fixated on you know metal film became a buzzword, you know like you have to have metal film caps, you have to have you know metal film resistors and all that stuff, which in a lot of times it does help a lot. Mm-hmm. But for distortion circuits, I always like to try a few different types because a lot of the fuzz circuits, a lot of those, <clears throat> they don't really like metal film caps. You know, we use them on most of our stuff because mm-hmm. the majority of the time it does help keep noise down. Uh, but it kind of, you know, it's more... A little more consistent, right? Exactly. A lot more consistent, actually. And, mm-hmm. um you know, but there are times when you try them and you're like, oh, this just sounds way better. And it's always another dicey one because, you know, especially when everyone opens up and they want to be like, oh, look at this crappy one. Like we did our our um, good one pedal. Right. And mm-hmm. that one was this one that came across my bench. Somebody, um, this guy actually named George Smith. That's why it's got the little, I don't know if you've seen it in detail, but it has a little thing that says G Smith on it. Okay. Um, got it. He just came across my bench and I was like, I've never heard one like this. And I've never seen one like this. And even as many schematics are, are out there and everything, um, it, I traced it out and made a new schematic with it and I couldn't find it anywhere. It was like a totally unique one that no one, I was surprised. I went on, um, Kit Ray's site where almost every time I'm like, ah, he's, he's got, he's found it. Yeah. Yeah. And he, in, you know, which a lot of times can be a good starting point, but you know, but I didn't see it on there and I was like kind of stoked. I'm like, oh man, cool. And, um, but the other thing about it was, you know, the thing was falling apart, but it had almost all ceramic caps, you know? Mm. And, and Mm -hmm. I first built it, um, like, you know, trying to make a workalike of it. I I actually messaged him. I was like, Hey, this one may, this restore may take a little bit longer. (laughs) No, because I I was like, you you know, I want to spend some time with this if it's all right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, sure. And, um, so I built another one and it sounded good down in the ballpark, but like, it just didn't quite sound right. And the one I built was a lot quieter, a lot more practical, you know? But then I finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to dig around the shop because over all these years, I have pretty much every cap and resistor you can imagine. And sure. I just found like the worst ceramic. I had some old surplus ceramics and um, there was a couple of values that I was like, oh man, I can't find. They were kind of weird older values. So I went on eBay and just grabbed some of the crappiest ones I could and put it all together. And it was like, literally, it's like, boom, oh, there's the sound. You wow. know what I mean? And, and, um, you know, it was what it needed. And I, even for some of the main parts, I, um, hunted down, um, uh, God, I hope I don't give in this away. I hope I don't drive the prices up on crappy Uh-oh. ceramic caps, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, I went and I, because, you know, 
I feel like, especially with ceramics, when a lot of time passes, like they dry out and it, it affects the sound. Yeah. And so I, I still do it. If I come across like a big surplus, like new old stock um, group of caps or something, you know, I'll just grab them on eBay. You know, if, if I can get a ton of them, you know, where I know I can use for, if I'm going to use them in a pedal, I can't just have different caps every time, you know? So it's like, I, if I can get a big surplus of them, and um so i did that i found you know and it takes some digging around but i would find these bulk lots stuff like that and i just grabbed a bunch of them for the george smith fettle and um you know you can look inside I, it even says like dirty guts on the pedal you look inside and there's like nasty looking <laughs> old caps you know and mm-hmm. um, but it's i mean the pedal i'm really proud of that one it really sounds great and um has this kind of like syrupiness and noise and you know about it but it like it captured that pedal and um you know there's little things like that that you you know you have especially as you get more mature doing doing this stuff and everything you know you realize you have to get rid of some of those uh preconceived notions of you know just always using this or always using that and i, and mm-hmm. I like to always try and keep myself from falling into that well of just like this is we just do this because this is what you do yeah yeah and still be open to you know finding uh thinking outside or rethinking inside you know (laughs) i mean i i Mm -hmm. totally understand that it's it's something that you know scott i mean i talk about him constantly but at Stringjoy, we we're always trying new things you know it's like okay well we found this one little tweak to how we run you know whatever 48s inserts inserts gauge here that we've always done it this other way but what if this works better you know for one reason whether it runs faster or it makes a better string or whatever by whatever criteria better is we'll try it you know we'll try it on a on a on a you know like a gross of strings or so and just see what it does and oftentimes we've found things that we've then continued to implement moving forward and we don't make like a big announcement like, hey, everybody, we've got these new quote unquote strings because it's just a better way to make a, say, 48 or whatever gauge. It doesn't matter. But like constantly trying to improve and not fall into the trap of like we do it this way because we do it this way is a good thing, I think, for anybody. Because sometimes you find out the way it's been done is the way it's been done just because it's the way it's been done and for no real reason other than that. <laughs> and uh there, there are actually are better ways to go about things or different ways that are just interesting. So like, don't be yeah, afraid if to you explore do, things. If you get stuck in that too, it can, it can like wreck you because I mean, we've all seen, especially in the music world, especially in the gear world, you see companies that they're just stuck and, you know, they have a lot of the, you know, people running it that have been in the business forever and, and they get the second any sort of change is suggested or whatever, you know, they get so like antsy about it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, well, why, you know, I mean, change is what the world's about. Like, you know, why, why be so stuck with those things and be so threatened by the, by the challenge of changing them? You know what I mean? And they, and you'll see, um, you know, Again, I keep saying, especially nowadays, but you know, our world's changing so fast and everything like that. You've got, you just have to be, be able to shift and adapt and do all that. And, you know, you got to be flexible with everything and willing to, uh, 
willing to not be stuck in your ways. Otherwise you, you die, you know, you have to be like a, got to be like a shark, you know, (laughs) stop swimming, you die. That's right. I mean, you know, and that's not to say you shouldn't have convictions about certain things, but there, there are, if there are opportunities to improve, then it should at least be explored. Right. It's, it's one thing, you know, if we're, if somebody's like, well, why don't you make all your strings at 72 inches? That'll, That'll fit everything on the planet. It's like, well, that's a massive waste for 99.9999% of instruments. So we're not going to do that, right? But there are other things that we can try and other things we can explore to, to you know, possibly improve things. And it's a, I, think it, I think it's just a good thing artistically as well. Like if you're always just playing the same riff over and over again, I don't know, go listen to some some shoegaze or something else that maybe is out of your wheelhouse and you've never played before. Go listen to some country. Go listen to some hip-hop, whatever it is, and mess around with that for a little while. Let some of those influences bleed into your playing and into your songwriting because, I don't know, just uh, anything stagnant is, you can kind of sense it as a listener too after a while. It's like, wow, okay, this again. Um, yeah. And I'm definitely guilty of that. I'm trying to get outside of my comfort zone a little bit. I've been playing a lot of acoustic guitar in the last month or so, which is not something I ever thought would come out of my mouth. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's good to explore things. I'm glad this glad this came up. Yeah, whenever I kind of have the same thing. I mean, you know, I'm obviously an electric player, but I'll pick up a acoustic and I'm like, oh, I should do this more often. You know, it's really mm-hmm. uh, yeah, nothing to plug in, nothing to you know run through nothing that you know like you just like you know you like it i forget that joy of just being like i have an idea grab it start playing you know although yep. I, you know i'll do that on unplugged electric as well you know mm-hmm. but um you know that simplicity of uh, not getting caught up in the, everything working right and doing all that it's like it works you just hit the strings <laughs> <laughs> push the strings strum which is hilarious for me to say because like that's what my parents pushed me towards initially. They didn't push me. They were like, oh, you want to try guitar? You should play acoustic guitar first. And I was like, I don't, in my head, I'm like, okay, any guitar will do at this point. But I wanted to play metal and punk rock and stuff. I'm like, this is not not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to play Waylon Jennings. Um, I love Waylon Jennings, but that wasn't what, what my vibe was at the time. I wanted to play Metallica. And that was that was a little bit challenging to do on a Takamini uh, at the time but um i find myself going back to it and and just really feeling that same kind of joy i felt that i even had an instrument at all like it's a uh, i don't know maybe i'm getting a little bit long in the tooth but i'm feeling i was feeling kind of nostalgic just playing all these acoustic songs that i grew up listening to and learning and and all that even though my my youthful my youthful side is still trying to rebel against it but i guess it's an inevitable at some point it just yeah, it's funny. You know, my over. my uncle was the one that taught me. He was the only guitarist in the family, and kind of got me going all this. And he became a luthier and the whole deal. But um, he was one that made me do the acoustic first, mm-hmm. which I hated, but I was really grateful for it that he did that to me because the particular acoustic I had, the action was really high and hurt to play the thing. You know, after a mm-hmm. while, especially when. You're developing those muscles in your hands and they're totally not that strong and the calluses on your fingers and everything. And he had me playing these like 
like you know in the 80s like beginner guitar books you know oh, yeah I mean? the, and <laughs> which was like you know i'd be like these like old country songs that i had never heard in my life that were like standards but i know i'd just be like why why but it put this core foundation in, and then of course i get an electric and i'm like oh my god this is so easy to play right yeah this is like a for piece, children yeah this is like a piece, <laughs> a piece of cake i'm just like flying through this stuff you know and um so i was really glad that he gave me made me do that because i think also uh what you know just knowing those core chords and those like cowboy chords and all that kind of stuff like i see people that don't even know that anymore and i'm like sure you know, when I'm playing electric and all that, I'm not using a ton of open E and open G. I'm like, I usually like to like strip the chords down a bit to um, sound better on electric and all that. But like, I would feel pretty silly if I didn't know. Someone's right. like, you know, someone's like, you know, this is D, it goes to D7, goes to C, C sharp minor seven. Like if I was just like, huh, what? Like, I don't know what you mean. I, I would, you know, that would bug me. Mm-hmm. you know and so i'm not a jazz player i'm not a virtuoso i'm a halfway decent you know hacky guitarist or whatever um but you know i i do appreciate that i could at least sit down and like you know jam with somebody or whatever and i really you know know how to not be totally lost <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> well you're one step ahead of me i'm always totally lost even if i'm not i am somehow Still lost at the same time. I don't know. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the gear exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Blitz and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with every compressed audio. You're hearing it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my playing dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossing, I invite you to head over to chaseblintsaudio.com. I think you're going to like what you find. 
yeah, I can, it's been I can a long... usually fake it enough to convince someone that I know what I'm doing, but I do. <laughs> I, I have faked it a time or two. In fact, the first time I had played, I've told this story a few times. The first time I had played with a group of people in like five years at the time was when I went on the JHS show mm-hmm. and they did some jams. They're like, you want to jam? I'm like, I have not jammed with anyone in years. This is going to be weird. And I think I faked it well enough that I, I guess if I hadn't said anything, maybe people wouldn't have known. <laughs> so <laughs> I was even playing leads. I don't play leads. I'm just like a chugga chugga dun 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 type of guy. So it was a, that was a little bit nerve wracking though, to like have that be my first comeback into a band situation, even though it was just for a couple hours in front of like thousands of people. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of weird. Yeah, I remember with with leads and stuff and learning. I um, you know, I learned a lot of the scales and learned that kind of stuff. But then I just wasn't really using them, like to the point where I would sort of forget them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this sort of epiphany in my like later twenties. I was like, what, what guitar? Like, what do I want to sound like? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I would learn like some of the modes and stuff like that. And I was like, but and I would play through them. I'd be like, well, I'm, I'm not going to use that. I don't, <laughs> that's, <Right>. not, <laughs> that's not what I want to sound like or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, I got really into more like dissonant kind of stuff and everything. And so I was just like, I was like, huh. And I had this, you know, I couldn't even say like this guy or like that guy. You know, but I had this idea in my head of like what I wanted to sound like. And I was like, I'm just going to work towards that. And instead of this sort of vague, be a better guitarist, just big foggy thing. I was like, there's a sort of guitar player I can sort of hear in my head. I don't have the skills to do it yet. Um, But I kind of have an idea of how to get there. And that was actually, Mm -hmm. what's what's funny is I was actually part of the Roy Buchanan thing because not the style I play at all. Not, you know, anything, but... Just, I would, I forget who turned me on to him, but um, I would watch and he'd do this three finger thing. You know, he was, um, I don't, he didn't use the pinky a whole lot, but he would just do a lot of the pick and then bing, bing with yep. his, uh, you know, middle and ring and get these runs going. And they were kind of messed up sounding, like they weren't real precise. It was almost like, like he was just fighting the guitar at certain points, you know, mm-hmm. and like it was fighting back. So it's just like this, like tension. And right. there'd be like, <laughs> there'd be like flubbed picks, you know, all over the place. And he would, and all he would do is just have like a little bit of reverb on it and it's just attacking this thing and just doing, you know, going up and down the neck. And um, I was like, I, I want to do that, but in a different way. But mm-hmm. I just like learned so many techniques from him and just these like, you know, weird little like faux whammy bar stuff, you know, where he would, he was the first one that I figured out I'd, I'd heard it before, but never did where you, you know, if you don't have a whammy bar, you like, you know, bend um, a couple notes up really high and then mm-hmm. hit them when they're bent. So you, the down bend yes. almost creates this whammy effect. Mm-hmm. You know? And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I mean, I'm sure, you know, metal guys, like they've known that forever. You know, but to me, I was like, oh, it's the first time I'd seen it. I was like, that's so cool. You know, you get this sort mm-hmm. of thing and just like doing stuff with your hands and manipulating it and, you know, getting these like almost chorusy sounds by banging through your, your pickup selector and stuff, you know, and yeah. all kinds of stuff like that. So, yeah, that, that journey as a guitarist is always, always a good one. And I'm still not, 
I don't play quite like that guy that I want to, you know, but I keep chipping away at it. And I just recently started playing music again, which is nice. Um, uh, you know, sort of a band thing, but, um, you know, and I'm getting back to that feeling I'm in of playing with people and also accepting the fact, you know, I'm, I'm almost 48 years or I'm almost 49 years old and, um, accepting the fact Oh, sorry, I got off my accepting the fact that it's not going to be the same as it was in my 20s. Sure. Um, because I remember I played a few times over the years and I was like, it just didn't have that oomph to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have that grab of just, you know, that excitement of being in the rehearsal room. And I was really, it kind of made me depressed for a while because I was like, is that just not in my brain anymore? Can I just not get that from, you know, that same 21 year old, you know, I'm practicing every day and working some crappy job, but all I want to do is music. Like, am I just not gonna be able to get that sort of high from rehearsal anymore that you go in, bang out a song, like a new one. And, you know, those occasions where it comes out even better than what you thought it would. And just that elation that comes with all that and everything. And, you know, played more later on after there were, that stuff died down and I was just like, man, is that just not something my brain can do anymore where I get that excited? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really got down about that for a while. And then more recently when I started playing again, I, I'm getting it again. It's just different. You know what I mean? Like I sat down, totally. we weren't all sort of learning together. Like this time I sat down with like old, old friends of mine and we've all just over the years, we've just gotten better. You know? especially this friend of mine, this kid, Ben, I call him a kid just cause he's a little bit younger than me, but we're all, <laughs> we're all <laughs> and, um, you know, um, we've just, you know, just through playing and just maturity and all that and better. So we could like sat down to do music and like, it was just like, Oh, everything was really easy because we don't have that, you know, the struggle where we're all sort of learning and it's just, it feels different because in that struggling to learn stuff too, there's excitement in that when mm-hmm. like, you know, I've been in bands where the bass player is literally learning how to play bass by being in the band, which I feel is like we've, that, that's all bass players, right? That's how it works. <laughs> oh, I had one band, this guy, <laughs> this guy became really, really good too. I was just like, he was my roommate and I needed a bass player and I'm like, you kind of like guitar, right? <laughs> I'm like, well, here's long guitar. Yeah. 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 And he was like, oh, cool, cool, cool. And he's one of those guys that took to it really quick. And it was just easier mm-hmm. than going through the effort of trying to find, you know. <laughs> uh, well, half the time it's about who you're vibing with more, almost more than how well they play. It's like, as long as they play to an acceptable level, but you really like them, mm-hmm. that's, that's very important when playing in a band. Yeah. And but you see that when you, when someone, you don't see it as much now, but when you, someone goes through that process where you just kind of throw them into the mix and sink mm-hmm. or swim like that. If there's somebody that just has that little music thing, you know, where they can, or they can kind of grab onto it pretty quick, mm-hmm. you know, you see the progress they make where they're doing that. are like, I didn't even know I could do this. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's just that thing of like, you know, you can watch all the videos you want on YouTube and you can practice in your bedroom all you want. But those leaps and bounds you make when it's just like, here, play, dude. These are the notes. Figure it out. Play it terribly for a while, and you're going to get better at it. 
mm-hmm. you know, and you just see, and I've had people in my life and musicians that I've interacted with where it's like a little bit scarier, like, man, you just, part of the reason I think that you're getting it so quick is because you, you're not thinking about it. You don't have all that, all that stuff to cloud your vision, you know, going into it. You're just like, play this note. Cool. Oh, this, this note, I don't necessarily know what's called a fifth, but this sounds cool when I throw that in once in a while. Yep. <laughs> you know, and like, you know, seventh, what's that? That makes it sound weird, you know, and you see someone and it's just like, man, that really is just it, what, you know, kind of calls back to what we were talking about earlier in the podcast where it's like, just doing, mm-hmm. you know. And, Definitely. Yeah. And that's what I, one of the things as far as music goes, one of the, you know, there's a lot of, it's easy to get upset about um, free music being available. And, you know, especially, to, you know, my generation that saw the 90s and CDs and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, everyone was kind of like, well, you can just get all this stuff for free. You know, what's that? Mm-hmm. There is something to me to be said for not making as much money now from those things from, you know, just selling music that's recorded. It's kind of almost pushed this first full circle thing where now that someone down the street, you know, you can be like, Oh, here's, they can show you this recording and you're like, that sounds like it's pretty close. Like it's, you know, it's some dude that was on garage man. You're like, it sounds like pretty close to a real record. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, now that, it's not that hard to do that and everybody can do that. It's kind of like when you play live, you got to prove you can pull that off. And it's sort of come full circle, like almost back to like the fifties and sixties where it was all about live, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because this doesn't apply to all areas of music, but you know, you see some of these indie bands and stuff that like, they're like, well, if we want to make money, we got a tour. Like we're not, we can't sit back and wait for Spotify royalties. You know, that's not going to pay anything. We have to like hit the road and tour relentlessly. And you see some of these bands that like, they just get like incredible. Like they become like such good players Mm. because, and you know, and a lot of them, they're just, you know, they may not be rich, but they're like making enough that they don't have to have a job. And, you know, and they have to do that by, you You can't have this amazing sound. If you're going to be a, you know, live playing band, you can't have this amazing sounding record and then not be able to back it up. Cause we've all mm-hmm. seen when someone does that and they try to back it up and it does and they can't, Yes, you know, we've all been to the concert where we're like, Oh, there's that song I love. I can't wait for it. And they play it and you're like, bro, this sucks. like you didn't even come close to the record or it was just not good and you know there was obviously a lot of done in the studio to make that sound good you know and um i feel like you can't get away with that as much nowadays you know you gotta be able to or you gotta be able to put on a better show you know Mm -hmm. so there's benefits to that you know for sure well hey we have uh we have this was a great conversation, by the way. I really, really enjoyed this talk. Thank you for taking the time to come on. Uh, we have just crested the hour mark, and I've got a couple classic questions that I like to wrap the podcast up on before we slide over to Patreon. But before <coughs> I do course. that, I like to give the guests a chance to take the floor and shout out anybody they want to shout out. If you want to you know, say hi to your mom or if you want to plug something or if you want to just have a thing you think people need to hear, you're talking to a few thousand people right now, so... Get off of your chest, yeah, whatever no, you got to get off. You know, I mean, there's always people that 
help in this industry. I don't know if, you know, if they necessarily want to shout out, but, you know, there's been, you know, I can do kind of a general one, you know, there's just everybody, we, we are in this weird industry, this weird pedal world where there's a lot more sharing and helping going on than a lot of other, other businesses, you know what I mean? Where it's not so secretive and it's not in like, you know, I have so many guys that, you know, I'm just, I get stuck on something and I shoot them a text and they're like, here, do this, do this, do this. And I'm like, well, man, you just saved me hours and hours of, you know, research, you know, and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and like even, you know, Keely is like that. I mean, he's an open book as far as helping you, uh, you as I, you know, was able to become friends with him over the years. Um, and you know, he doesn't, you know, he'll just, he's just shot me off like a schematic. That's not online. I'd be like, well, here's how I did it. You know? And I'm like, damn, (laughs) sounds like Rob, (laughs) you know, and Matt from Alexander is always one that I give credit to. He's helped me out with so much stuff. And, um, you know, he's probably over to come on this thing too. Kind of get him on here too. And then, you know, one of my just, you know, along with being pedal, but he's just like, legitimate like closest friends is you know tom from tomcat pedals is like love that um, dude yeah and it's weird because i have a lot of relationships with people that are like it's online and or it's like via text so you're good friends you know but like you're not calling them up you know like my girlfriend broke up with me you know you're not it's not that <laughs> level you know it's sort of surface but like you know he's probably the one the most that like we're just genuine good friends you know and everything and that's one of those gifts that i've gotten from this and that started from i think at the time he emailed me with some pedal question and i, I was like yeah i gave him some info about it and you know we swapped things back and forth and it all sprouted from that you know and so there's just like and i'm sure i'm forgetting lots of people and there's just so many people that um help each other out in this in this whole world and it's it's weird it's still weird like even though all these years have been doing it you know then people are like yeah you're you're direct competition with me you know right you, <laughs> uh, and i'm you know and you're helping me with a pedal that is you know in the same ballpark as an exact one that you make and potentially people that buy might buy my pedal instead of yours and you're still more than willing to like share that info with me and we both know that you know it's a it's a strange thing i don't know i'm not steeped in a lot of other industries but i'm pretty sure it's not always like that you know it's not even necessarily like that in all aspects of guitar actually it's definitely not like that in strings i can tell you that much right now not at all (laughs) because it doesn't make sense to me i mean it doesn't make sense to help out someone that's your direct competition Mm -hmm. but somehow in this world, it's like becomes this sort of big, like, you know, it's going to come around to you. You know, you know, someday that person may need you to help with them with something or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. you know, you, if you just look at the short term, like, that person might make me sell less, you know, then it, it, if you're short sided with it, then like, you know, be like, oh, I shouldn't do that. But when it's just this big sort of potpourri of, I, you know, It'll come back and not even in so much a karma sense, but just like, yeah, it's, you know, everybody did that with me. So I'd be a pretty big dick to not do that with someone else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what I mean? um, Yeah. So, you know, that's all as far as like uh, shout outs and such, you know, I don't know if I am. Um, yeah. Sounds good. My employees, right. definitely. 
you know, oh, yeah. that make all this happen, um, you know, because, uh, you know, without them, I'm not going to, you know, we sell enough volume nowadays. I'm not going to survive trying to do this stuff in my, you know, in my garage anymore. So they're the, you know, the bread and butter. And that's um, not to get sidetracked, but I, you know, we were talking about the value of a pedal and everything and, you know, what you pay for and the components and everything. And it's like, you know, when you're buying a pedal from us and from any other pedal company, you know, you're, you're paying their rent. Those guys that work for me, you're paying their, you know, expenses, you're paying for their car, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're paying for them to have a job to come to every day. And, you know, a lot of times that's the biggest expense in making something is labor, you know, and absolutely know that. And so it is one of those weird things. And someone's like, yeah, it's this much for the parts. Well, you're, I'm not going to lie to you. You, no, the parts don't cost this enormous amount of money. You know, it's the running of the business. And that's true of any business. You're not paying it, you know. But it is a beautiful thing, too, when you're, you know, when you're buying something from a smaller company and not to be that, like, buy small, buy local business. You know, we've all heard that so many times. But when you're buying something, it's like literally we have a, I have a couple at home guys, but um, we have, I think, six now um, working for us. And then we've got one guy that's kind of does little stuff on the side. But like, you're paying their bills along with mine, of course, you know, but like, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very direct thing, you know, and it's, and it's kind of neat sometimes. It's scary sometimes, bro. It's scary. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Because I'm like, I remember I had that moment. I realized that I was like, holy if I don't like, we'd have like a slow spot in sales. And I'm like, if I don't, if I don't sell pedals right now, like it's not just me, like these dudes' lives are going to be really affected. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's not just yes. like, Oh, that was fun, but it didn't sell. Oh, bummer. You know, it's like, wow, this is like really, and and that's obvious when you say it out loud or look at it on paper, but when like it dawns on you, you're the one running the company all of a sudden it's like, I don't want to feel like this. It's a little scary. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, I, okay, that didn't sell very well. All right. I'll pick up an extra shift or, or so, and then it'll be fine. No, that's not how it works when you get even just one person working for you, especially full time. It isn't, oh, bummer. That didn't really work. And it really only affected me. It's like, oh, this gamble I made that I thought was going to pay off super didn't pay off. And now I have to figure it out for all these other people. It's a, it's, it's not, I don't want to to sound like either of us are complaining about it. Cause I don't think there's anything else we'd rather be doing, but that is a reality that does some, sometimes take a little while to set in. And, uh, Oh yeah. And it's, it's just and, a, yeah. you know, when the, it was just, I thought it was kind of trippy with me personally, because it literally wasn't a gradual thing. I just literally was like one day I'm like, Oh wait, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) like, like, wow, these, like, like my, my main guy, like, you know, he got a new car and was making the payments. And I was like, if we don't sell pedals, he doesn't make that payment. That's getting repoed. (laughs) 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 And it's easy to digest for myself. You know, I mean, that just goes with the territory, you know food bills all that kind of stuff that when someone else it's a new and it's neat it is nice being the boss yeah you know it is nice going into work and and you know and you know there's a vibe in the air of like oh 
people are coming to me for the answers and for make things and it feels good too, you mm-hmm. know, and discount that, you know, but yeah, part of, part yep, of it's all of these thing. things, right? Yeah. All right. Well, are you ready for the, the classic questions? We can slide over to Patreon after that. Yep. All right, here we go. I'll be very curious to hear what you say to this one. What is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, I, I love boss pedals, man. They're, yeah. DD2. But what's your favorite? DD2. The um, Boss DD2. I think it's the best delay that's ever been made. And the it's DD2 kind is of, great. Yeah, and it's kind of a sleeper pedal because, um, you know, everybody knows DD3 and, you know, and all that came after it. But DD2 was the, you know, one of the first, uh, I don't know, I'm sure josh would know the answer to this a lot more than me but i think it was the first digital delay and i, could I be believe that's that. correct yeah and, and i had matt knight who uh does the guitar nerds podcast but also works for boss on years ago and i am sure you heard the story about the big long delay chip that's in there the big digital chip that's yeah. in the dd2 and the early dd3 um the tale of them locking the engineers in until they figured out how to make that thing fit in there is actually true. They did. They just like locked the engineers in the office and wouldn't let them leave until they figured out how to make that pedal work. <laughs> Which wow. is like, yeah. it can be intense over there, even with their pedals. So yeah, I yeah, love the DD2. I, was... I recently got one. I got, I got a DD2 and a early DD3 and I was, I'm convinced that the early DD3s are probably the same pedal, but just called something else for some reason. They look exactly the same inside, but I don't know that for a fact because I don't make pedals for a living. So I'm like, hmm, sound the same, look the same. I know the later versions are different, but I don't know. I do love yeah, the Somebody too, tried to explain it to me once, and I'm just, you know, it's a different digital, it's a different world than mine, but I guess... You know, and I'm sure somebody out there will be cringing when I explain this, probably going, that's not right. But, you know, <laughs> I guess I guess some of the architecture of it is, is um, you know, it's, it's sort of a hybrid, actually, you know, of like there's a okay. lot more there's a lot more analog going on there than later generations of the delays. Interesting. And so that's why it's it's got some of those elements of um, of a analog delay, but it's digital got like. It. You know, the repeats aren't quite as pristine. You know, they're not quite as nice. But, like, you know, I'm not a huge analog delay guy. And, um, you know, that, I, I feel like it just doesn't do what I want it to do. And I remember I got the DD2 and I was like, oh, this, you know, I just kind of randomly bought one. I was like, oh, this sounds great. And I A-beat it with some other delays. I'm like, wow, this sounds really cool. Why isn't everyone mm-hmm. buying, these, buying these things? It's so nuts. And I've recommended them to a bunch of people. And it's weird, man. Not one of them has bought one. Nobody? I, really? No. I, I'm like, bro, I don't. And they're still affordable. You know? And Yeah, they're not I, bad. And every one of them, I think it's just not this like early digital delay. It doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have the word analog in it as far as being an analog delay. And it's just not sexy enough or something. But I'm like, man, I know I've told you know five or six people that have, have asked me what the way i'm like this is the one to get end of story there you and, go <laughs> no. maybe they'll get it now yeah maybe we'll see, man it's great all right Bi- final question bypass on them kind of sucks though it's good if you put them in well a yeah true that's bypass true, but that's... But here. <laughs> final question what is your favorite kind of pizza oh man i'm just i'm simple just pepperoni done. That's just it. pepperoni. 
You mm. like a thick crust? You like a thin crust? You got a particular regional style you like or a pizzeria that you prefer? Um, there's there's a place locally here that does the whole, and of course I can't even remember their name, but they do the whole thing where it's kind of a medium crust, but they do the like fire oven. Oh, yeah. Where it has, and it's kind of a, like there's parts of the crust that are a little burned. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so you get mm-hmm. that weird like, crunch and that like sort of, uh, you know, coal or not coal but like that the taste that only something char, burned yeah, yeah char yeah. is the word i'm trying to look for in there mm-hmm. and so i don't know if that's considered like like chicago style or something but it is when most of those places mm-hmm. are if they're doing a wood oven thing that's trying to trying to throw back to italy like that's a naples thing so mm-hmm. not all of them are like that but usually that's that's the goal when they're doing that style of pizza um, but like New Haven is also will have a little char on it, though, though those are not wood fired typically. They're different ovens. But yeah, I can, I can go on and on about pizza. I just love pizza so much. It's a it's yeah. my other passion. I'm pretty easily um, satisfied. But hang on one second. Sorry, somebody making no worries. <laughs> I'm pretty easily uh, satisfied with that. So, yeah, right on, pizza, man. So, pepperoni. That's all I need. I love a pepperoni pizza. It's always it's always a crowd pleaser. Well, dude, thank you so much for taking the time. We'll see what kind of uh, chaos we can create over on the Patreon section. Cool. All right. All thanks right, everybody. For, thanks Matt. for listening to me. <laughs> Anytime, man. For Matt, this is Blake, and as always, folks, good luck and good tones. Alrighty, folks, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Matt and I got pretty weird over on Patreon. We actually dove into something that I had no idea we were going to be talking about. We talked about martial arts and how he is recovering from a rather serious injury. Not related to the martial arts, but it's still a pretty crazy story. So if you go over there... And check it out. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And also, if you sign up for the Patreon, don't forget that you will automatically be entered to win one of the two Maris LVX pedals that we are giving away starting today as this published date. So check it out. Go to tonemob.com LVX for all the details, or you can simply sign up for Patreon and you will automatically be entered and automatically get all kinds of brilliant bonus content. Okay, it's still me, so brilliant is a bit of a stretch, but I think you will enjoy it nonetheless. All right, everybody, good luck out there, stay safe, and I will talk to you on the internet very, very soon. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, And I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com slash StringJoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things. And by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style. Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website, and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. 
Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstreet as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts.